The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. You want an app on your phone or you want to look in the pew Bible, the uh, Bible's in the pews or your personal Bible. We're looking at John 21. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you. We'd love to have you to have that as our gift. So the title of this sermon, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. This is not the tale of two cities, but it's the tale of uh, two different evenings. An evening that you never want to talk about again. And an evening that you can't stop talking about. This was a fishing story that you would never want to tell and something happened and now you can't stop telling it over and over again because Peter is hangry. He has worked all night. He's been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night, right? And he's caught nothing. And now morning is breaking and Peter's intention to fish is saved by Jesus' intervention. And then we're going to see Jesus' revelation, which is going to lead to restoration, and then we'll end with a clarification. So that's where we're going in John 21. Let's give attention. This is God's word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. You gotta love that these two guys don't get named because they're just, most of us are everyday people. So these seven people are, are going fishing. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? This is where the story of Peter began. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast, your net, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die, but it is my, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not tame the books that would be written. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us. May we see who you are, what you have done. May we see your grace. May we see your truth. And may we love you. May we love your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever wonder what prompted Peter to say, I'm going fishing? We're not told. We're not told why he went fishing. We're only left to speculate, but it sounds so much like you and I, doesn't it? I mean, he'd blown it big time. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to bury myself in my career. Careerism is where it's at. This is where I started. I started on this generational thing of... My grandfather and my father are fishermen. I'm going fishing. Going back to where I started. This is where it all began. Peter had given up everything. He'd given up his life to follow Jesus. And he'd given up this generational living fishing trade on the Sea of Galilee. And the last week or two of Peter's life here before John 21, they were just terrible for Peter. Terrible. Peter, always confident in his abilities, self-assured, had declared to Jesus in all four Gospels, write it down for us, that he was ready to lay down his life for Jesus. And yet the very, very same night after making the pronouncement, I mean, Peter had said, though they all fall away because of you, Matthew 26, 33, though they all fall away, all the disciples, I will never fall away. Next verse, Jesus says to Peter, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh, but Peter's not done. He has to tell Jesus that he knows better than him. 
He's smarter than Jesus. Jesus needs to learn something from Peter, so Peter has to have the last word. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Well, how's that going for you, Peter? Peter's humming a few new tunes, and they're not happy ones. If he had an iPhone and earbuds, he'd be playing help. I need somebody, not just anybody. I've never needed anybody's help in any way, but now these days are gone and I'm not so self-assured. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away, but now it looks as though they're here to stay and suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be and there's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. Sin and shame will do that, won't it? And sin and shame will introduce you to a friend called self-pity. And then you're singing, he's a real nowhere man. Sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nobody, nowhere plans for nobody. I'm going fishing. I'm out of here. You see, we can relate to Peter, can't we? We've all wear a certain hat of shame. With a big letter over where our disappointments are and our shame is. And we feel it. You've been divorced, you know, you feel like there's a big D going around. You know, everybody's just a big, big D for divorce. You messed up with your tongue. You've been a liar. Big L hanging over your head for liar. You get dropped from your job, you got a big U for unemployed. You know, you just feel like you've blown it. And none of us, at least at some point in your life, you're going to be like, well, this is not the plan that I had for my life. This is not where I thought this was going to be. And for Peter... This is not where he thought he would be on the Sea of Galilee, having blown it. And so he says, I'm going fishing. And so Peter's intent was just to fish. And we're not sure what his motivation was, but in verses 1 to 3, we certainly get some word pictures, don't we? We get some word pictures of life. This is fruitless. This is empty. This is unfulfilling. This is very frustrating. Peter has been out all night and caught nothing. And Jesus had said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so he's caught nothing. And he's frustrated. And then we have another word picture here, just a picture of emptiness, frustration. You know, you try to go out and you try to make a life apart from Jesus. And are your nets full this morning? Is your heart full this morning? Or are your nets and your heart empty? Not satisfied with all that the world promises to give you. Maybe you find those U2 lyrics to be true. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Peter toiled all night, caught nothing. And so we do know, though, that the angel and Jesus had given some affirmation to Peter. Do you remember what the angel said in Mark's gospel? When the angel appeared, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen, he's not here, see the place where they laid him, go tell his disciples and Peter. 
<laughs> make sure you include him because he's, he's feeling like a real heel. He's got the big D hat on for denier and the L hat for liar. He's feeling like a real heel. So go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. And Peter wasn't exactly a wait around kind of guy. You know, patience wasn't one of Peter's natural virtues. You know, if Peter was in the session meeting with you, he'd say, we're doing something tonight. We're going to get something done. You know, whereas Philip and John, you know, they had been, let's get a study committee. You know, let's, let's think about this. You know, John gets to the tomb. He sees, he believes, but he don't go in. I mean, John, Peter just runs right in, you know. Peter sees Jesus on the water. What does he do? I'm getting out on the water. Let me come out to the water to you, Jesus. I mean, Peter is the man of action. And so, but patience wasn't one of his natural virtues, was it? And so he's waiting for Jesus at Galilee, and he just says, I'm going fishing. And so is there fishing and catch nothing? Jesus actually asked the question in a negative. Haven't got any fish? Basically, he already knows the answer. And they, you know, whenever you've had a bad night fishing, you always give a one-word answer. You know, no, you know, <laughs> nothing, you know. And so Jesus says, well, try starboard side. Cast on the other side. And still so like, wow, oh, man, what do we got to lose? And so they throw it out on the other side. And we're told that Peter says it's the Lord, or John says it's the Lord. And you can imagine, as soon as John, he's been there before. They've been on this boat. We're going to look at this account next week in Luke 5. But as soon as those nets got tight, and as soon as that boat started starts to lurch over and everything gets tight I mean instantly John knows it's the Lord I've, I've been here we've experienced this before it's the Lord and so he looks up at Peter and says it's the Lord and what does Peter do I mean he's the man of action I mean most people you know you you take off clothes when you're getting into the water but not Peter he's not thinking real well you know you know he's he's in his skivvies he doesn't want to see Jesus in his skivvies, so he throws on some clothes and then just hurls himself into the water. And you know Peter's not a diver. You just know he can't run real fast. He's not a diver. He just hurls himself into the sea, probably cannonball or turnover backwards and just crash into the sea, swim to shore, because he's got to get to Jesus. Now, this isn't about Peter's athletic ability. The interesting principle here is... And we'll look at this next week. Is that as Jesus is discipling Peter, we have this interesting principle of grace and how it operates in the human heart. The first, your second verse of Amazing Grace by John Newton. The second verse famously is quoted as, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." It's kind of this interesting, well, how can they both be true? Well, the awakening of grace in our lives teaches us to fear God. There's a realization of sin. There's an awareness. And, and we'll look at this next week. But Peter, when he catches the huge fish the first time, what does he say to Jesus? He has an awakening that God is in his boat. And he, all he wants from Jesus is space. I need space. I got to get away from God. God, you're too big for me. You're too awesome. You're too holy. And I am a sinner. So depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord, is what he cries out. Is that what he cries out here? 
You see, he's changed and now he, he knows the Lord better. And even though he's blown it, Jesus had promised him. He said to him, truly, he said, Simon, Simon, I prayed for you. Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Jesus already knew. Peter, you're gonna blow it. Before the rooster crows, you're, you're gonna blow it three times. And so he knew, and Jesus had already promised him that he had prayed for him and that he was gonna return to his brothers. And so this time, when he knows it's the Lord, instead of yelling out, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, I just need space, he wants just the opposite. I just want nearness. I gotta be near the Lord. It's the Lord. And so he is, it, forget the fish. Forget, forget all these a massive amount of fish, fish, 153 of them. I just got to get to be with Jesus. And so he swims to shore. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Have you experienced either one of those in your journey? Hopefully you've experienced both. As we heard the kids given their testimonies, the youth in the communicants class, I've had the privilege to hear their testimonies. We've got 12 kids coming through and sharing their testimonies. And, and all of them were very similar testimonies. Grew up in a Christian home. Awareness of sin and realizing they're sinners and they need a savior. It was a very familiar story. And as they started to awaken to realize that God was holy and that they were not and that they needed a savior and they needed Jesus to save them, they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Grace had taught them to fear. Grace had relieved their fears. You see, that's what Peter is experiencing. How about you this morning? Where are you at in your journey? Are you to the point where you realize, even if my nets are full and I could make a boatload of money, I found something better. I just want to be with Jesus. Have you come to that realization? You see, that's where Peter was. And you know what's amazing about this passage that we just take for granted is this is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself. And as he reveals himself, and we know that's a big deal to John because he says it in verse one twice that Jesus is revealing himself. And then he says it again in verse uh, uh, 14 again that he's revealed himself and when he reveals himself the acknowledgement is clear that it's the Lord he is Lord over all of these fish and not only is he Lord over the fish what is Jesus Jesus is over here with already cooking breakfast with fish and bread what does that remind you of the 4,000 or the 5,000? Because already twice before, he has supernaturally fed a multitude with bread and with fish, showing he's the provider. He's already done it twice in front of the disciples. He's doing it again. And they realize it's the Lord. This is the resurrected Lord. And as they're with him, nobody... Can you imagine how eerie this breakfast would have been? When it just says... None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew 
It was the Lord. This is the Lord of the universe that they're having breakfast with. We're going to have the Lord's Supper with the Lord of the universe in just a few minutes. You see, we just have to, you know, we just kind of pass over how amazing this is. There's none like Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. And there's no other religious leader like Jesus. What do you think the message of Christianity is? Try harder? Try to be good? That has nothing to do with Christianity. The message of Christianity is that you can't be good, and you haven't been good, and you're never going to be good enough, and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised for our justification for us to be right with God. We have a hero, and it isn't us. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. The prophet who speaks the word of God to us, the priest who lays down his life for our sins, and now the king to reign over us. And as I was telling the communicants class this last week, and I said to them, if Jesus is our king, what does that make us? And I was fishing for this response of, if he's the king, then that makes us his servants. Well, one of the kids just sarcastically remarked, which I loved, I said, and if, if he's the king, what does that make us? And one of them said, not the king. And I said, that's exactly right. If he's the king, then we're not the king. And you know what Jesus says about himself? I mean, some people wonder, did Jesus really die? Like there's these crazy theories that he didn't die. There's these crazy theories that he wasn't raised and that they went to the wrong tomb and like, you know, the disciples got it all wrong and the Roman guards got it all wrong and the whole city can't find his body because they got it all wrong. I mean, everybody's just bumbling idiots. But Jesus reveals himself to John and he just says, I am the living one. I died and I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now I just want you to think about that for a second. Fear not, I'm the living one. I died. So the whole swoon theory, any theories, I died. I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay, that's time to get small. That ain't time to get big. That's time to get small in worship. He's got the keys of death and Hades. He died. He's alive. He's in charge. We're not in charge. Shailen, who's a pastor in Philly, he's a Christian hip-hop artist, He's been at this church twice over the years. He has a song about Jesus' resurrection, and the lyrics go like this. Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. Buddha's dead. Muhammad's dead. Gandhi and Haile Solari are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Throughout history... There's been mad religious leaders, prophets, preachers, scholars, teachers. But when it came to the grave, no one could climb out. Now that's where Jesus stands alone like taking a time out. And don't be misled, I got a level head, no resurrection, Christianity would have never spread. The disciples weren't stupid guys who would ruin their lives and then choose to die for what they knew was a lie. That would be beyond ridiculous. Nah, the issue is the risen Christ seen by 500 eyewitnesses. Imagine 500 people in a court of law, 
each of them taking the stand, reporting what they saw. If their stories lined up and made sense, the evidence would have to leave you convinced. But still it's by faith that we trust and praise the Son who was raised for our justification. Nero is dead, Constantine is dead, Genghis Khan and Attila the Hunter dead, Alexander the Great is dead, and all of us someday are going to be dead. But Jesus is alive. He's alive in the shore, and he's cooking up breakfast. And he says to the guy who's blown it, and all the ones who forsook him and fled, come, break fast. Come, break fast. That's where we get breakfast from. Break your fast. It's been a hard day's night. You've been working like a dog. Come, break fast. It must have been eerie. Everybody knows it's Jesus and nobody says anything. And it's even also, for, for Peter, he knows the last time he was at a charcoal fire was at Jesus' arrest. And he knows that it was there that three times he had said to this servant girl, and the servant girl is a relative of Malchus, and Malchus is the one that he cut the ear off of. So he had taken out his sword, chopped off the ear, and this is probably like, you know, her uncle. Now obviously she knows, hey, that's my uncle. He got his ear chopped off, and she's saying to Peter, I know you're one of them three times because I saw you, and your accent gives you away. You sound like a Galilean. And Peter has to cuss like a sailor to prove, well, I can cuss not like a Galilean. He calls down curses on himself, and he's, he's all mixed up at the charcoal fire. Well, here he is at the charcoal fire again. And Jesus asked Peter after breakfast, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate on what the more than these is. Is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about the disciples? I think he's getting back to Peter's overconfidence that he really thought he was stronger than the rest of the disciples. And he had said, though all men forsake you, yet I will not. And now Peter's question, and Jesus' question him saying, do you really love me more than they do? It's a quite humbling question, especially in front of the same men that he'd made this boisterous statement. But unless we are humble to the core of our be being, we're not ready for ministry. Jesus was seeing if Peter had the two great qualifications for ministry, love and humility, says J.C. Ra. Now, it's true. And Peter knew that when Jesus asked the question, I mean, he repeats it three times because he denied him three times. And there's that play on words in the original language where Jesus is saying, do you love me with agape love? And Peter's responding, I love you with a phileo love, and a lot of debate on that. And it's probably that, that Peter is now lowering the bar just a little bit. I don't, lo I, I love you affectionately. I blew it with the agape love, but I love you affectionately. And, and the third time, all, he can, all that Peter can appeal to is Jesus' omniscience and saying, Lord, you know all things. And Peter's hurt, and Jesus is very tender. And he's restoring him. And he's weeding out the chaff of pride to draw out the love and commitment of Peter to serve him. And three times he tells him to feed my sheep and to tend my lambs and to care for the little ones. Work in the children's ministry. Work with the adults. Feed my sheep. Care for the people in the church. And every time that Jesus 
His restoration always leads to mobilization. When Jesus restores us, he's going to restore us and put us to use in the church. And so he tells Peter, he commissions him. He tells him three times. He gives him a job to do, feed my sheep. And then we have this clarification. It's quite fascinating. You know, the very first words of Jesus is uh, to Peter is Jesus had said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, first words were, follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. First words of Jesus. What are the last words of Jesus to Peter? Follow me. He says it twice here in this passage. Follow me. It's first words and last words. And immediately it says they left their nets and followed him in Matthew and here again. Now we have the last words of Jesus to Peter. And when Peter saw John following along, he said, Lord, what about this man? What about him? And Jesus says, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Mind your own beeswax. Mind your own business. We all want to compare ourselves to somebody or think that somebody else has an easier road or a nicer road and a nicer car to go with it and the perfect family in it. And we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. And what does Jesus say? He just says, mind your own business. Don't worry about others. You follow me. And then he gives Peter this promise. And the promise, I always thought this was scary. I never really saw this as comforting. But the promise is, he tells him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, and it's the last truly, truly that Jesus gives. And when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around where, wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. How would that have been a comfort? Jesus is promising Peter, because Peter had said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm ready tonight to lay down my life. Well, you are, Peter. You're, you're going to do it. This is going to be your destiny. You know, I love listening to the Zion Williamson interviews when, when, when Coach K, he would say, well, Coach K would say, I was made for this moment. I mean, when he told me that, he said, I just had to go out and do it because Coach K was just pumping him up, you know? He kind of kind of liked that, right? And Zion was pretty good, but they didn't give him the ball at the end of the game. They gave it to Barrett, and they lost. But another story. But um, Jesus is comforting Peter. You're made for this moment. You were made to lay down your life. It's a promise that you will be faithful to death. It's a great promise to him. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Tertullian tells us that Rome, Nero was, Tertullian was an early church father, 200s. At Rome, Nero was the first who stained with blood this rising faith. Then is Peter girt by another when he is made fast to the cross. Eusebius, church historian, said, Peter seems to have preached in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, and Asia to the Jews of the dispersion. And at last, having come to Rome, he was crucified head downward, for he, for he so himself had asked to suffer. He laid down his life. 
Well, we got some news this morning of some people in Sri Lanka that lay down their life. That could happen to us. Soren Kierkegaard, a Christian philosopher, once said, in order to fully understand what it means to be a Christian, you must stand in the crowd, point to a man, and say he's God. He's God. Are you willing to say that? And if he's God, then it's wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow him. And we follow him, and it looks like a cruciform life. And so how about you this morning? Whatever the hat of shame you're wearing, Jesus comes along and says to us this morning, do you love me? He doesn't say, have you asked Jesus into your heart? He doesn't say, if you died tonight, what would you say to God so he'd let you into heaven? Those are important. It's not, do you believe in me? The answer is deeper. It's deeper. Do you love me? You know, we are what we love. We follow what we love. We love what we love. Woody Allen, when he was interviewed years ago in his tangled, perverted mess of lust, and he's an actor, director, he said, the heart wants what it wants. You love what you love. Well, what do you want this morning? What do you love? Do you love me, Jesus says? Have you discovered that if you put your net and cast it on the other side, something's gonna happen? Have you ever thrown your net on the other side and given yourself to Jesus and listened to his command to come to me, come follow me, I'll give you rest for your soul. He'll give you a commission, he'll give you a job to do, and if you love me, then serve me. If you love me, obey what I command. If you love me, invest yourself in the kingdom, serve the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't say feed the sheep or feed your sheep, he says feed my sheep. And we're all not shepherds, but Peter later in his life wrote, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you love me? Jesus says. That's for us to answer. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would believe and that the belief would lead to love and affection. For those it's been the worst of times, may this be the best of times to know that you're the one who restores souls, changes lives, gives second chances. Lord, we're all a mess at various levels and in various ways. We ask that you would clean us, forgive our sins, they're many. And we don't come because we're righteous, we come because you're merciful. And we ask that you'd restore us. Meet us now at your table, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.